We have messy, broken human heroes. So often we hold him up as this hero of great faith, and yet he is a messy, broken person in need of not just a human hero, but he needs something bigger and greater. He's as much a human as he is a hero. You don't need a perfect hero. You need a perfect God, and that's who you have. And regardless of the season that you are in, he's working to heal and rescue you. Good morning, everyone. Welcome once again to Christ Church. We're a church about lifting lives, elevating Christ, a church for those not here yet. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Nathan. I'm a vicar here at Christ Church, which is a fancy way of saying pastor in training. And whether you're here with us in the West Auditorium, joining us over in East, or joining us online, welcome. Thank you for choosing to spend part of your Sunday with us here at Christ Church. We hope you keep coming back, keep experiencing the incredible ways God can impact your life. And today, we are finishing up our sermon series. We've spent the last 14 weeks looking at these various characters of the Bible. We've called this series God of the Underdog because we've looked at these different underdogs throughout Scripture and seeing the different ways that God has stood with and for them. Most famously, we looked at David and up against Goliath and how God stood with David in facing the giant Goliath. But it's not just these stories of God standing with people but God working through these unlikely, unexpected underdogs. One of the great themes throughout Scripture is God using people to do His work. Despite our hardships, or our brokenness, or our sin, or whatever might hinder us, God still chooses to use us to do His work in the world, to share His love and His grace and His forgiveness with others. And one of those people He uses to do this is Timothy. And so he is the underdog we are looking at today. And Timothy is present throughout much of the New Testament. So much of that second part of the Bible, starting with Jesus and afterwards. And Timothy's very present after uh, Jesus ascends into heaven and the disciples of Jesus start doing ministry in the world in the book of Acts is where we first meet Timothy. But then we also see Timothy throughout other parts of the New Testament as well. But where we first see Timothy is as this young guy, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but he becomes a big part of Paul's missionary journeys. He becomes super influential in them, super important in them. So starting with Paul's second missionary journey, Timothy kind of becomes this protege for Paul, this, this right-hand man, this person who was doing ministry with Paul and on behalf of Paul in other places. See, Timothy not only traveled with Paul on these missionary journeys, but Paul often sent Timothy out ahead of him. He would say, go, go to this town while well, I'm still working here so you can do some, get some ministry started there. I'm sending you here and I'm going to go this direction so we can minister to both of these places at once. Paul follows the example of Jesus. You see, Jesus had his 12 disciples and he would send them off two by two uh, to different towns and places while Jesus would work somewhere else. And so he taught his disciples how to lead, how to minister to people, how to share God's forgiveness and love with people. But he did it, uh, and, then, and then he would send them out to do it in multiple places. And this is kind of what Paul's doing with Timothy. While Paul's preaching here, Timothy's off leading a church or a group of people elsewhere. And so Paul and Timothy are kind of working together but eventually, Timothy becomes this leader all on his own. He becomes the leader of the church 
in Ephesus. He becomes kind of the pastor there, and that's where he spends the majority of his life. And while he's there, Paul kind of commissions him to go there. He writes these two letters to Timothy. We still have them today. They're first and second Timothy in the Bible. And so if you read them, what you're reading is Paul's words to Timothy about how to be a good pastor, how to lead, what to do when you face dissension, what to do when you face these false teachers, how to be a good pastor, how to be a good leader. First and Second Timothy are two of three books of the Bible that we call the pastoral epistles. Epistle meaning letter. These letters that Paul often, but a couple other people, wrote to churches or people or places uh, teaching them something. And pastoral meaning about how to be a pastor. And so Paul was teaching Timothy and then Titus, who the other pastoral epistle was written to, how to be good pastors, how to shepherd their flocks well, how to give God's love and grace and forgiveness to people. Now, a lot of people know about First and Second Timothy, but what a lot of people don't realize is it wasn't just these two letters written to Timothy, but Paul wrote six letters with Timothy, meaning eight out of the 13 of Paul's letters that we have in the New Testament are related to Timothy. More than half, the majority of Paul's letters are related to Timothy, either written to Timothy or about, or are, are, are with Timothy. And so it's cool that Timothy is so influential in Scripture, and so influential in even our faith. Because as Paul was co-authoring these letters with Timothy, they would begin, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and they would say something, writing to you with Timothy. And so, but as he's writing these so much of our theology today, so much of how we think about God comes from Paul, comes from his letters. And if Timothy's super involved in them, that means a lot of our theology, what we think about God, even till today, is because of Timothy. God used this underdog Timothy, and he's had an impact for literally thousands of years now. Now, Timothy, after leading the church in Ephesus for a majority of his life, uh, when he was around the age of 80, according to church tradition, was martyred, meaning he was killed for his faith. Last week, we looked at Stephen, the first Christian martyr, the first believer to die because of their faith. And he did so probably when he was pretty young, but Timothy had lived, lived this full life of ministry and then was killed for his faith. And so that's the life of Timothy. Now, the most famous passage, most famous verse we have about Timothy is 1 Timothy 4.12. It says, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. This is a verse that's super present in, like, children's ministry. We love teaching kids this verse. Don't let anyone look, think less of you because you are young. Other translations you may have heard, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. You can be faithful now in the way you live, in the way you love, in your faith, and your purity. You can start leading right now. You can start being a good Christian right now. Even though you're five or six or seven or eight or however old these kids are, you can start living faithfully now. It's a wonderful message. And we teach it to youth, right? Middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students. Right? We teach them the same message. You don't have to wait till you're an adult or you have life all figured out. You can start living faithfully now. You can be a leader in faith right now. You can invite others into faith by inviting them to church, 
telling them about your faith, you can do that right now. You can serve God and serve others right now. And we tell it to young adults too, people who are just getting their lives started. So often young adults have this mentality of, oh, I'll start going back to church when I have kids, when I get married, then I'll have life figured out and I'll be able to come back to church, right? And we gotta have life figured out before we come back to church. But that's not true. We can come back to church, we can come back to God whenever because of what Jesus has already done for us. And we can start living faithfully right now. You don't have to wait. No matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, if you're a zero, if you're a hundred, if you're anywhere in between, like Timothy, we can live faithfully now. And Timothy was this underdog because he was this young leader. Right, when Paul wrote this, this was much later on into Paul and Timothy knowing each other. Uh, Timothy would have been somewhere below the age of 40, which isn't super young, obviously. Uh, That's kind of how they used that term back then to describe youth. And this is true today, but even more so true back then. Kind of the older you are, the more wise you were viewed, and people would not want to necessarily follow a young pastor. But Timothy was this young leader. And he was living faithfully. He was giving God's word to people. And God still used him. But when we first meet Timothy, this was much before, scholars have kind of narrowed down that he was probably between 16 and 24. So when he's being sent out by Paul to lead these churches and all these vast areas and these cities he's never been to and meeting these people he's never been to and teaching them about God and doing all these things, he was about 20 years old. Not exactly figured life out yet but he was already leading. He was already living faithfully. But when we first meet Timothy is right at the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. He had his first one, which he went around teaching people the word, first going to Jewish people, but also going to Gentiles as well, these non-Jewish people, and converting them to Christianity. They became believers. But as these non-Jewish people became believers, a question emerged. That question was, do you need to first become Jewish in order to become a Christian? After all, Jesus himself was Jewish. Our Christian heritage is Judaism. And the Old Testament are the Jewish scriptures. And so you need to first follow those in order to follow Jesus. And so Timothy first appears in Acts 16, but in Acts 15 is the Jerusalem Council. This meeting of all the believers at the time all the leaders of the believers at the time, to answer that question. Do you need to become Jewish in order to become a Christian? And most specifically, do you need to be circumcised in order to become a Christian? Now, there was different camps on this view. There was different thoughts. There was uh, Paul's camp, which was no, you don't. And then there was Peter's camp, which was yes, you do. So we have these two camps. uh, And at the end of the Jerusalem Council, they decided that no, you do not have to follow the Jewish law in order to be Christian. You do not have to be circumcised in order to become a believer. And even to today, we follow this ruling. If you've ever wondered why we eat pork, for example, when Jewish people don't, this is why. Because of the Jerusalem Council, we follow that ruling. But why did they decide that? Well, scholars think if you look at the Old Testament law, the law is given to the Jewish people, given to Moses, the 613 commandments. 
they kind of divide them into these three categories. The first of these are moral laws, laws that are true all times, all places, and are moral in nature. For example, thou shalt not kill, right? Don't murder people is true all times, all places. Don't steal. The Ten Commandments are great examples of the moral laws. There's also civil laws. Keep in mind the Jewish people weren't just a religion. They were also a nation, meaning they had to have governmental laws. If someone does break one of these moral laws, what is the punishment? What do you need to do? What are the consequences? And the civil laws helped answer some of those questions. And so we don't necessarily need to follow those because we aren't under the kingdom of Israel and that government. And then there was the ceremonial laws, the laws about uh, how the Jewish people could stay in right standing with God. And so if you read like Leviticus, for example, you'll see all these examples of animal sacrifice, right? If you sin, you have to sacrifice this animal to wash over your sins. And so why don't we follow those, right? Why aren't we sacrificing animals up on this altar? Well, the reason is because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, he puts us in right relationship with God. And so we don't have to have our sin removed via animal sacrifice. Our sin has been removed via Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. And so we already are in right standing with God simply by his grace through our faith. And so people did not need to be circumcised in order to become Christians. But that's interesting because here is where we first meet Timothy in Acts 16. Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. And so Timothy isn't just an underdog because he's young, but also because of his background, right? Not only are these drawn by religious lines, he comes from this multi-religious uh, background in terms of Jewish, uh, a Jewish mother and a very non-Jewish father, but this is nationalistic, this is racial. He comes from this very mixed background, which can make things in doing ministry even more complicated. And yet despite this, and despite his age, Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. Even though he was like 20 years old, he's had this great reputation. People knew him, people trusted him. He probably was already teaching people, giving them the word of God, reminding them that they are already forgiven. And so Paul, because of this reputation, because of Timothy's personality and what he's already been doing, wanted him to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left. For everyone knew that his father was a Greek. In this culture, religion was generally passed on by your mother. And so as a son of a Jewish mother, it would be expected that Timothy was to be circumcised. Now he wasn't as a child, clearly, and yet Paul wants him to be circumcised now. This leaves me with two questions. First of all, how would anyone know? Um, <laughs> if you just think about what would a Greek bathhouse look like, that probably answers that question. But the second question is, why would Timothy want that? Or why would Paul want that? After all, Paul was the guy 
who won the Jerusalem Council, who said you don't need to be circumcised in order to become a Christian. And yet Paul wants Timothy to be circumcised. Why? That, doesn't that go against what he just talked about, what he just argued for, what he just won? Well, for Paul and for Timothy, it was more important that they didn't create a barrier to the gospel for people than to be correct, than to be right. You see, town to town, everywhere Paul went on his missionary journeys, and Timothy too, they often didn't leave those places very peacefully. Often they were ran out of town by a mob or thrown in prison or they, try, they tried to stone them. Right? Bad things tended to happen because the Jewish people didn't love the message that Paul and Timothy were bringing. And even though Jesus was the fulfillment of Judaism, the Jewish people didn't understand that. And so in trying to protect their religion, they were very... Uh, they, they were violent against Paul and Timothy. They were persecuting them. They wanted to stop this message from spreading. And so Paul knew, and Timothy probably understood too, that the less barriers that can, they can create, the less obstacles it will cause, the less fighting that'll happen, the better. Because it's going to happen anyway. And so if we can teach more people the word, if we can give more people forgiveness, if we can do that before they run us out of town, the better. It was more important for them to not create a barrier to the gospel for people than to be correct. But because of this, they went from town to town, instructing believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. Because of Paul, because of Timothy, People's lives were lifted, Jesus was elevated, and those who were not yet believers became so. Their faith was strengthened and the church grew. Now once Paul was established in Ephesus as kind of the leader there, Paul wrote Timothy this letter. And in 1 Timothy, at the end of it, one of the last things he wants Timothy to remember, one of the last things he wants Timothy to reminded, be reminded of is this. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all of these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. Timothy, you're a man of God. You're going to face hardships. You're going to face fights. Paul probably didn't know it, but you're going to be martyred for your faith. They're going to kill you for your faith. And yet, still fight the good fight. Flee from evil. Pursue righteousness. Pursue a godly life. Pursue faith. Pursue love. Pursue perseverance. Pursue gentleness. If this list seems kind of familiar to you, there's a famous passage out of Galatians, which Paul also wrote. It's about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit we bear, the actions we take, the personality we take on when we allow the Holy Spirit to shine through us. Instead of acting sinful and evil, when we allow the Holy Spirit to live through us, we show love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there's a, a lot of overlap in this list. 
And so, in order to flee from evil, pursue righteousness. Let the Holy Spirit shine through you. Fight the good fight for the true faith. And it is a fight. And it was a fight for Timothy. With Paul, they were thrown out of these towns. There were mobs and all these problems. And for Timothy, eventually, he was killed for his belief. And yet throughout his life, he continued to fight the good fight for the true faith. And so what can we learn from this underdog, Timothy? We can learn the same thing. You can fight the good fight for the true faith. You can do it. No matter the hardships, the suffering, the struggles, the sickness, the pain, the brokenness, the sin that exists in your life, you can fight the good fight. And you can do so because God is with you. The last thing Jesus tells his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew is, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Do these things, fight the good faith, and you can do it. Why? Because surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is with you. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. And so you can fight the good fight because God is with you. The same God who chose to become a human, who loved you so much he chose to die for you. The same God who was powerful enough to conquer over death itself is with you. So you can fight the good fight and you can bear his fruit because of this. And you can fight the good fight because Jesus has gone before you. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus has already conquered over death. Jesus has already conquered over sin. And through his grace, through your faith, he's already forgiven you. So you can fight the good fight, and you can bear fruit. And you can fight the good fight so others will see God through you. You see, we don't just fight this good fight for ourselves. We don't just fight this good fight because it leads to our forgiveness and grace and all those wonderful things. But we fight it so that others will see it. One of my favorite things in life is when I get a glimpse of the character of God in other people. We were all made in God's image, but sometimes that just shines through a little clearer and I love seeing that. I love seeing when people show love to people or joy or grace or forgiveness or all those lists that we listed before. When they bear the fruit of the Spirit, when we see that clearly, when we catch that glimpse of the character of God in other people, as they love people, as they serve people, as they help people, we just see God's character that much clearer. In, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said something. It's going to come to me in a second. <laughs> Jesus said, let your work, I let, let something shine before others. Let your light, it's the light, that's the word. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let the light, let God's image, let God's character, let the fruit of the Spirit shine through you so that others will see your good works 
and glorify God as a result. We do that. We show God's love and his grace and his forgiveness to others. And that's why we fight the good fight. And so do it. Fight the good fight so that others will see God through you. When we do this, we allow others to enter into faith. And even though there's still going to be hardships and suffering and pain and brokenness in our life, it's still the best way to live because we bring others into faith and we bring others forgiveness and grace and love. So fight the good fight so others will see God through you and you can do it because God is with you. Let's pray. Gracious God, Jesus, we thank you for the life of Timothy. Help his life be a reminder to us of how to fight the good fight. God, help your image shine through us so that we can show love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control to others, that they may see your light through us and come to know your grace and forgiveness and love. Jesus, you taught us the greatest commandments were to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Help us to do this as we're reminded of the life of Timothy. Help us to fight the good fight for the true faith. And Jesus, we praise you that we are able to because of what you have done for us. That Jesus, you chose to enter into this world as a human in order to teach us, yes, but in order to die for us so that we might live and live eternally. Jesus, we praise you for your forgiveness, and we thank you that you were powerful enough to conquer over death itself. Help this encourage us to fight the good faith, fight the good fight for the true faith, so that no matter the hardship, no matter the struggles, we can bear your fruit, we can shine your light, we can show off your image, so that others can come to know your love and forgiveness through us. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.